Our scripture reading today is Matthew 6, 7 through 15. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. When I was a junior in high school, um, I was, and it's so ridiculous to look back and think about it now and how serious I took myself. I know none of you were that way, Um, but you know, basketball was life. If you guys have seen Ted Lasso, you know, you got Donnie's like, football is life, football is life. Uh, For us in Grady, New Mexico, basketball was life. It's all we had to do. And so we played a lot of basketball and uh, I took pride in my role on the team, which was kind of the slow you know, enforcer, rebounder type person. And uh, when I was a junior, we had a sophomore coming up uh, named Brandon Brown. And he grew a lot that summer. And I hope that Brandon's listening out there somewhere and will hear this as some kind of an apology. Uh, but, but Brandon was, was this just great kid. He was way more athletic than me. He could jump better than me. He was taller than me. Uh, he was a better basketball player than me. And so as, as the leader on the team that I should have been, uh, I, I didn't appreciate his talent in the offseason. I didn't say, oh, man, isn't it great that we have another post player that can really fill this role? Instead, what I did is I tried to make his life so miserable that entire summer and offseason, I thought if I can make him small, then I will still be king of the post players on our team. Uh, and so I just did everything. I, mean, I roughed him up physically. I roughed him up mentally. I roughed him up emotionally. I did everything I could to make his life miserable. And thanks be to God, uh, he was pretty resilient. And uh, he, he just stayed with it. And he became a really great basketball player. Um, but that my response to a good gift and a good talent in my midst is a textbook example of envy. If you want to know what envy is, that's it. It's not just, I want what you have but it's, I want what you have times two, and I want to take yours away. (laughs) I wish you didn't have it, and I wish I had it, and that it was bigger. And so uh, the bad news when we think about envy is that envy burns in all of us, and it motivates us to hatred. It destroys us quietly. Uh, Somebody has said, of all the deadly sins, envy is the only one that's not any fun. (laughs) And it's so true. It is so true. It's just not any fun at all. But But we all Harvard, and we all kind of keep it over here to ourselves. Uh, but the good news today in response to the bad news of our envy is that the presence of Jesus 
brings healing. And our envious tendencies that are natural to all of us can be transformed into loving instincts in the kingdom of God. They really can. And so that's the good news today. Um, why do we call envy a deadly sin? It's part of the tradition of the deadly sins. We call them deadly sins because they literally give spiritual death. They, make, they, they cause parts of us to die. Uh, the parts of us that are, that are created to respond to God and to love God and to love others, uh, when we have those deadly sins, they chip away and they, they cause an actual spiritual death within us, which is why we take them so seriously. And so where envy, uh, excuse me, where pride, uh, which is kind of the first in the list, pride, uh, the tradition teaches, carries us away from God. So pride kind of convinces us that, hey, I can be my own everything. Everything I have is from me. I can make everything good and better. And so we don't really need God. So pride carries us away from God. Then what envy does, it carries us away from our neighbor. So it starts leading me to believe that I don't need you, that I'm not together with you, that we don't need to love each other, that that's not part of the deal, but I can be fine uh, by myself in my little world. And so it carries us away from our neighbor. It isolates us. Envy is usually kind of a backdoor thing. You know, envy is not the thing that we tell each other in the public square, but envy is the thing where we smile in the public square at each other. And then when we get back in our little corner, we go, golly, that guy, I can't believe. And we start, you know, we sabotage each other and we do all that stuff. That's envy. That all comes from envy. And so I'm nice to your face. But I'm quietly hateful. I'm going to sabotage you. I'm going to make your life miserable. Um, but all the while, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just do it back here. And the thing about envy is it requires proximity. You know, it has to be realistic. Like I wasn't envy of Michael Jordan, you know, when I was in high school, because it, that's ridiculous. I mean, I wasn't like, oh man, if Jordan hadn't got my spot on the bulls, I, I would have, my life would have been better because it's not realistic, but it's that, it's that person in your family. It's that person at your job. It's that person at school. That's just enough. You, you're like, man, I could have been there. If it weren't for that bad twist of fate, if it weren't for that horrible God, if it weren't for karma, whatever we blame it on, uh, we, we just say it has to be close enough to say that could have been me in order for it to be a proper envy. So I love there's a little parable that uh, Joseph Epstein tells, and I had to modify it a little bit, uh, but you'll appreciate my modification. <clears throat> and so there was once an English woman and a Frenchman and this old guy from Abilene Wiley. Okay. And uh, so some of you old coaches and players, you'll appreciate this. You've been in Sweetwater very long. But anyways, uh, and so they, you know, this genie approaches those three of them. And it's the classic genie in the, in the bottle thing. And genie comes out and says, listen, you all get one wish. And so the English woman says, you know, um, my friend, she has this cottage in the countryside and it's just beautiful. Well, I would like one of those, but I would like two extra rooms I would like another bathroom, and I would like a brook that runs softly and quietly in front of my cottage. You know, so Jeannie, if you could arrange that. And then the Frenchman says, you know, Jeannie, my friend has this beautiful blonde mistress. You know, and I, I would like one, but could she be a redhead and make her legs a little longer? And can you, you know, whatever. I want her to be more cultured. I want her, I want her to be somebody like that. So if you could just grant me that wish. And then the old guy from Abilene Wiley says, uh, Jeannie... My neighbor has this great milk cow. And I mean, she makes the best, richest milk in all the land. And it produces the best butter and the best cream. And I want that cow dead. <laughs> you, 
You know, that, that's what envy does. It says, I want to take something away more than I want to get something. I want somebody else to suffer more than I want to be blessed. And so that's, that's the, the lie of envy and why envy costs us. Even when we win the game of envy, we still lose because we separate ourselves from one another. We lose the connection between God and each other. And so even when we win, we lose, which is the whole story of envy. So, so what does envy cost us? And I just made a list this week of things that I think that envy costs us. It's not comprehensive. This is not a systematic treatment of envy. But here's some things that envy costs us. Number one, envy costs us because it pulls us away from our neighbor. So instead of me appreciating my neighbor's gifts and seeing them in the light and recognizing them as a child of God and saying, man, isn't it great that my neighbor has this gift and that gift and that gift, Instead, I look at those gifts and I say, how can I sabotage those gifts so they can be minimized so that my gifts can be highlighted, right? How, how can I devalue those gifts? So it keeps me from appreciating the goodness of my neighbor, which is the goodness of God in my neighbor. Number two, envy costs us because it, it decreases a proper love that we're supposed to have for ourselves, Remember the greatest commandment, that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, and love our neighbor as what? As ourself. Well, if we don't love ourselves properly, we can't love our neighbor because we don't want anything good for ourselves, and we're not going to want anything good for our neighbor. And we forget that part sometimes, but what envy does is it deteriorates that, and I start to have this reduced value of myself. And it's just, it's a, again, it's just a rabbit chase. It's the... Um, it's this cycle of comparative worth. Instead of me recognizing my worth as a child of God and loving myself, therefore, I start to value myself in comparison to other people. And the list goes on. It's exhausting because it just it's a comparative cycle. My comparative worth, I can only be worth something in comparison to somebody else. And that's a horrible way to live. So that keeps us from remembering uh, the true source of our worth, which we know as Christians we celebrate all the time is our common baptism and the grace that God gives all of us, that in the waters of baptism we are all children of God. We're all equal in that respect. We all are of infinite worth because we're the children of the Most High God. The third thing that envy costs us is it costs us a relationship in, in a way with God, with a good God, because again, when, when things start happening that we deem to be uh, problematic, you know, it's like, I would have been great in this respect, something really good would have happened, except that bad twist of fate. Well, if we're Christians, we start kind of blaming God for those things, you know, we start going, hey, wait a minute, uh, I would have, God, that would have been great if I could have stayed there, and, and you took that away from me, and so therefore, I blame you, God, for my misfortune, and so then envy starts to affect our relationship with God. The fourth that envy costs us is that we, in addition to devaluing other people's gifts, then I start devaluing my own gifts. I don't appreciate the actual gifts that I have. So I forget what my gifts are, and I'm so worried about the guy next to me and minimizing his gifts that I forget that I've been given gifts too, which I can cultivate and I can nurture, or I can just set them aside and they'll deteriorate, you know, like muscles. I can build them and grow them and strengthen them, or I can set them aside and they will deteriorate. So that's what it costs me there. Um, and you know, it's not just individuals that do this, but it's groups. I mean, churches do this all the time. 
We look at another church in another part of the world in our community, and we say, gosh, dang it. If those people didn't have such and such, and instead we had such and such, man, we would be on the cover of the New York Times. We'd be so good. We would be so amazing. Uh, and, and so we, we, we start devaluing another congregation or another denomination, and we say, hey, you know, that if that was us, you know, if it weren't for that twist of fate. And so we forget in the midst of that that God has given us manifold gifts, and he's called us to the things that he's called us to in the community. You know, there's not another First Methodist Sweetwater. And so God is calling us to do things that he's not calling other churches to do. And he's given us gifts to do those things. And so sometimes instead of celebrating those and appreciating those, we look around and go, well, it's not what so-and-so has. It's not what so-and-so has. So, so envy costs us a lot. Now, there's two options when we recognize envy, when we see it in our lives. Uh, the modern secular response to envy there's actually some philosophers and psychologists that have put together this kind of theory that envy is natural and normal and it's unavoidable. It's incurable. And so when you recognize envy in yourself, you should just channel it into self-improvement. Does that sound familiar? You ever hear that? In any, there's a lot of preachers that talk that way too. But um, you, you, so I sense some envy inside of me and I'm just going to channel that and make myself better. I'm going to let it become the thing that drives me, right? Uh, which again is a uh, vicious cycle of comparative worth. And the other thing that we can do is if we believe that Christ is transformative, that there's a presence of God in us that can actually change us, that we can be different, uh, then we can recognize the severity of envy. We can recognize what it steals from us. We can see the downward spiral of competitive worth, and we can turn to Christ in prayer. And we can lean on one another to grow and to not keep ourselves and our neighbors in this vicious cycle of comparative worth. And so that brings us to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and the Lord's Prayer is something that we pray uh, sometimes daily. We pray it most weeks in congregational worship. Uh, we pray it just about any time we get together. And it's a wonderful prayer for many reasons, and I won't go into all that today. But one of the reasons I love the Lord's Prayer, and I love to learn more about it, I love to pray it. I love to teach it because when I find myself, my back's against the wall, or I'm really struggling, or I notice something like envy inside of me, uh, it's these little simple prayers that really carry me. It's not long, elaborate prayers. It's these short, simple prayers that we learn as children that really carry us. So, you know, when the Lord's Prayer became popular and common in congregational worship, the average person, and for really a majority of Christian history, the average person couldn't read and write. So it was very important, these things like the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, they would take these things and so many times, that's how we would make disciples. They'd say, well, we teach our kids the Lord's Prayer and then we have all these petitions in the Lord's Prayer. We can teach them about different aspects of God, uh, different ways of relating to each other. And so the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful tool in that respect to help us overcome some of our uh, sinful tendencies, and in this case, envy. And in the tradition, the petition in the Lord's Prayer that they would start putting in there and say, if you want to overcome envy, the part of the Lord's Prayer that we need to focus on is that little line that says, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. And if we make thy kingdom come a regular part of our prayer, the logic would say that it would almost be impossible to be envious. If we truly pray thy kingdom come and we learn that and we grow that and we pray that, then envy will just slowly fall away 
from our lives because we can't be praying thy kingdom come and hold on to a vicious cycle of comparative worth. We'll have to let it go. So praying thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer slowly replaces the driving force of the thing that we learned from before. We don't, nobody has to teach us to pray my kingdom come. We go through life and that's just the natural thing. That's what we see everywhere. My kingdom come, my kingdom come, my kingdom come. And so that's why the Christian gospel is so countercultural and so radical and so beautiful is because it directs our attention somewhere else, somewhere else that's worthy. And it gives us freedom and healing and life in the meantime. So we pray for the kingdom of God to come. We begin to desire good for others, even people that previously we didn't even like. And we start desiring their good because we're looking for the goodness of God anywhere. Remember the kingdom of God and all the times Jesus would teach on the kingdom of God, he would say, you know, the kingdom of God is everywhere. But in order to recognize it, you have to become like a child. You have to look over here and see this. You have to watch what happens when good soil has time to work with seeds. And, and it's just this all over the place, but we have to look for it. And so we learn to celebrate life in all forms as a part of growing in this way. And look, I have 100% empathy. When I recognize in myself envy and when I recognize in other people envy or when someone confesses envy to me, it makes total sense. It might be the one deadly sin that's not any fun, but it's so easy. It's so easy to understand because so often envy starts with an injury. It's, it starts with something that happens to us there was a misfortune. It was something truly terrible. But then what we do with it from there, we take it into some other place that it never meant to go. And so, so often, that's what it looks like. We nurse envy as a response to an injury that we had. So, you know, for example, I get passed over for a job. So I take a strange pleasure in my neighbor who gets passed over for a job. Or uh, I'm struggling in my marriage. So I hope that others will struggle too. Or, you know, I tear my ACL, MCL my senior year, so I kind of quietly hope that somebody else, one of my rivals, does the same thing and that that's going to make me feel better. This is totally understandable, but it is completely toxic, and it just eats us alive from the inside out. It's a trap that we always need rescue from. And so the joyous thing we get to do together is in, in learning and praying and teaching our children the Lord's Prayer and the impact of what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. And I mean, when, you know, when you're around people who this prayer becomes part of their life, you can tell. You can tell when thy kingdom come is central to someone's ethos, to their life. And so we pray thy kingdom come, we, we find great healing, we find freedom. Uh, we find freedom from the comparative worth game. We find freedom from self-hatred. We find freedom even from guilt where we wanted our neighbor to have misfortune. And so the guilt we carry for that, well, we find freedom for that as well. And as we close, I'd just kind of like to, to picture the image of Jesus uh, who was crucified for us. And in so many ways, it, it was our hatred. It was the hatred of humanity that crucified Jesus. And we're complicit in that. We know that. We understand what it's like. And the source, the root of so much of the hatred is envy. And the good news of the gospel 
is that there giving his life for us on the cross, by the death of Jesus, he breaks the power of the source of our hatred. He breaks the power of envy. Uh, as the old hymn says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. And so we have this great invitation to return to Jesus in the season of Lent as we approach the cross together to offer our lives as a living sacrifice because the greatest news of all is that Jesus loves us and he wants us to know his love in these profoundly transformational ways. And it's, again, one of the foolish, the things that seem so foolish to us is that Jesus, in his wisdom, the way that he chooses to love us so often is through one another. It's through friendship. It's through service uh, to other people. And I think that's what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 4 when he says it's in the love, it's in, it's in our love for one another that the love of God is perfected. It's in our love for one another that the love of God is perfected. So when we recognize and we experience the perfect love of God so often, it's an experience the love of another, another person. And so that's what's at stake. And that's why we want to be free, because we want to experience the love of God. And we want other people to experience the love of God. And so in order to do that, we shed the chains, the, the, the clasping nature of envy together, and we pray together, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.